Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is August 4th, 2014. This is episode 89. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my color commentator, my big boy, my leadoff hitter, Jake English. I was hoping for big boy, but apparently that's that's not the case anymore. I called you big boy. I see how it is, Scott. Yeah. Um, you can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find us on baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You should also check us out on Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, and uh, I guess that Apple product called iTunes. Check us out on social media at facebook.com slash bvcast, on Google+, YouTube. You should also be checking us out on Twitter at birdseyeviewbal. Jacob, we're also part of the Channel BSR group since we're part of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. And on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, occasionally you will get to see our lovely, sensual, sexy faces online every Tuesday and Thursday night. You know that we have radio faces. That's that's not the case. That is an excellent, excellent point. But still, you know, whoever is in prison might enjoy our sensual faces. So Channel BSR Post Game Live is a great opportunity to turn off the radio to listen to some folks that actually know what they're talking about. We we do a recap of the game and also we'll we'll set you up for what's to come in Orioles baseball in Birdland, if you will, Tuesday and Thursday, about 15 minutes after every game. That is correct. If you want to know what the specials are at Mars, not the show you want to listen to. You want to turn into the post-game show on WBL. But if you actually want to talk about baseball... That's the uh, show you want to turn into is Channel BSR. But you Mars, know, if you're listening, we're we're open to negotiation. That is correct, and we'll read it much better than Dave Johnson does. Um, speaking about sales and promotions, you should also go to our web, our website at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. That's birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Click on the Amazon link at the very bottom of it and uh, buy something, anything. You know, just give us our measly two or three percent so that we can keep the lights on. Um, and with that, Jake, can. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah, go ahead. You have been talking about this for weeks. Yeah. Scott Magnus, I want to pat you right on the back. The Birdland Bash took place this Saturday, and it was a fine event, sir. You put a ton of work into it, and I just want to tell you, I heard nothing but rave reviews about the first annual Birdland Bash. To be fair, we had a lot of people that were very drunk, and um, I'm glad that we got them very drunk and they were happy. We played a pair of softball games. Uh, there was a there was a happy hour uh, to follow, and then uh, Orioles baseball. And to all of the bloggers, podcasters, Orioles fan personalities that showed up, we appreciate it. To the listeners, to our friends, thank you so much for making the Birdland Bash a success. Uh, we can't wait till next year so we can unveil our new and and exciting plans for the Birdland Bash. But we're going to leave you hanging on that. 
Yeah. So again, thanks so much to Oriel Sunglasses Guy, to Corny Cabeza, to OBP Apparel for providing the awesome design. But again, all our podcast uh, brethren, uh, including Section 336, Matt, Josh, thanks for coming out. And intern, way to make some clutch plays out there in the field. The intern was really impressive. The intern was very impressive. So for all those things that the Shiroka boys are saying that the intern uh, doesn't really know anything or can't play, he's pretty impressive. So kudos to him. Um, and again, thanks to for Utah Street Report coming out, Clay Sowers and uh, Derek. Thanks so much for uh, coming out and supporting us. We really appreciate the uh, camaraderie, just not of um, the Baltimore Sports Report, but the joint community, which is Birdland. Jake, important question for you: What's your drink of the week? All right, I have, I have two things to go through here. First, I'm going to answer your question directly. I'm drinking a gin and tonic. Okay. I'm drinking a gin and tonic uh, in in memory of the gin and tonics that you and I consumed at Nobles on Saturday as part of the Birdland Bash. Whew, those were some good gin and tonics. This is not as good because it's it's a home it's a home product. What is your drink drink of the week? I am drinking a Stone Brewery Ruination IPA. How is that? It is yummy. All right. Now, Scotty, uh, you are smarter than me in almost every facet of the imagination. Naturally. Um, I got a question for you. You and I are doing this thing on Untapped. Uh, as you know, uh, we are publishing that to the Bird's Eye View Twitter account. You can be found uh, on what? Username? You can find me at MAGN8606. And Jake, you can be found at? Jake E4025. So here's my question about the Untapped. Let's say I buy a six pack, right? Yes. Let's say, for instance, I buy a six-pack of Birdhouse, yes. which I've been enjoying this week. What do you do? Like, Do you, do you drink the first one and, and you, you check it in? And then for the rest of the week, do you continue to repeatedly check in? I think that you need to have a well-documented situation of how much of an alcoholic you really are. I feel bad because I feel like the, the whole point is to keep track of how many individual beers you have, like like the different kinds of beers you have, not necessarily each one. But you also need to take a look at how much quantity. So, for example, if you come back and let's say you have Birdland and you've had 35 Birdlands within three months, it gives you an aspect of, oh, I've been going to the store and buying a lot of those. Not to mention it tells you, I bought 35 $2 beers. That's a lot of beer. First of all, it's Birdhouse, but I think Birdland would be a Birdland great would be a pretty cool drink pretty, of the week. Yeah. So with that, Jake, let's go into the medical wing. All right. Let me hear it. Jake, the big news off the medical wing was uh, Hunter Harvey is, uh, well, he's he's shut down for the season. Stop. Say it ain't so. Yeah. So he's shut down for the season with uh, a flexor mass strain. Where have I heard that before? Yeah. You may have heard that before with Dylan Bundy being shut down and saying, oh, we're going to give him a platelet-rich plasma injection and saying, oh, this will solve it completely well wait let me let me interrupt for a second if yeah. he's hurt how are we going to trade him for a frontline starter ah yes um well taking the fact that everybody else in the world has talked about the trade deadline we're not going to talk about that so what we're not going to do lazy podcasting this week we're not doing lazy podcasting dude that's our that's our thing you're right it is our thing but moving on to an even lazier thing jake let's go to this week on the twitter Jake, um, I think Chris Davis emphasized pretty uh, clearly about what we were all thinking last week um, with the walk-off, and that was Crush Davis. I just got him back on Twitter. You can follow him at CrushD19. It says, what better way to lift my spirits than with a walk-off win? Thanks, boys. Hashtag goos. Hashtag, I like our guys. That was not the best part of this tweet. Uh, in, in fact, it was... It, it was not even remotely close to the best part of this tweet. The best part of this tweet was the fact that he got into a little tete-a-tete with Adam Jones, 
And, you know, Adam wanted to make sure that he was he was doing okay, he was feeling well. Um, and, and Chris Davis was quick to point out that all he could do during his illness was wipe and cry. And by wipe, of course, he meant his nose. Yeah, of course he did. Of course he did. It was a great exchange. It was a great exchange. I, I was, uh, yes, that's was, what Twitter was born for, is just awkward aspects of, you do mean this, right? That's exactly what we've missed with Chris Davis being off the club. All right. Next, we want to uh, throw some recognition to our friends at OBP Apparel. They responded to a tweet that was uh, tweeted out there by another Birdland Bash uh, participant, which is Josh Shroka, who tweeted out at uh, K Sowers ESR a, at A Stetka. I agree. I want to win with our guys. This is the discussion about basically going after Lester and getting someone that could prominently bolster the rotation. So, so Josh Josh says, I want to win with our guys. OBP Apparel responded, and they tweeted out, as such, I want to win a World Series, period. I don't care who played where. If we win the championship, who cares? That's a pretty good point. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty Reclaim good point. the crown. Yeah, if I remember correctly, and I don't like to pull football too much into this, but... I'm going to remember a certain uh, Steeler player that was on the Ravens 2000 team that uh, helped uh, win that Super Bowl. I refuse to acknowledge that that is the case. Okay. Well, uh, regardless, we won a championship because of him being on the team. So I don't really care where they played before. The fact is they were wearing purple and black, or in this case, they're wearing orange and black. So I'm perfectly okay with it. All right. What else do you have on the twat? Um, I'm going to go back to the game where Kevin Gossman was absolutely dominant and then reached the fifth inning and, um, well, promptly exploded. Um, and it was from Pete Gilbert, and he says, a rather pre-Cubs Ariadish start from Gossman from untouchable to disaster in the blink of an eye. Hashtag Orioles. Woof. But it was perfect. I mean, it, that was exactly right. It looked like during that inning for the fifth inning, and that was the inning where um, Gossman threw like 30-plus pitches it literally looked like he was aiming his pitches, and you could really see Buck like, whoa, something's going on here. We need to get the bullpen up and going because he just lost it. To be fair, he was umpire-assisted. No, he wasn't. Oh, yeah, no. Caleb Joseph had to turn in his glove, or his mitt, rather, for a soup can. No, no, he no, was no. being squeezed. He, he wasn't. I, I threw up the Brooks baseball strike zone, and he was not being squeezed. Right, you and I will fight about this later. Okay. What else do you have on the twat? Um, Manny Machado made some... Excellent plays at defense this no, week. No, excellent does not even scratch the surface of what Manny Machado did, but pray continue. Well, I'm going to come back to a tweet that Jeff Long had, and Jeff Long uh, writes for Baltimore Sports Life, um, and he posts at BSL Jeff Long and says, to increase level of difficulty, Manny decides to add the dodge umpire move tonight to his normal 170-foot throw. I don't even know what to say about him anymore. It's ridiculous, and it's awesome. Well, the fact that Gary Thorne doesn't know what to say anymore just tells you how good it is. Well, I mean, imagine you having to call that on a night-in and night-out basis. That's true. It just I think we've become so accustomed to it that I don't think we have a great appreciation for how what amazing things we're seeing at this moment. All right. Uh, lastly, on the twat, uh, I want to throw some love out to uh, Andrew Stetka, who tweets at a Stetka. We mentioned it earlier. He tweets out, everyone can stop what they're doing right now because Vin Scully is coming back next season, and that's really all that matters. Now, you know, he's out there in Arizona, and so he he sees a lot more West Coast games. But I'll tell you, Scott, I've become a really big fan of the MLB Network 
and I'm exposed to a lot more West Coast games because I watch their MLB Tonight program Mm -hmm. where they do a lot of live look-ins for the games that are still going on after our games are over. And because of that, uh, because of that habit I have, I've heard a lot more Vin Scully than ever before. And he's dead on. Yes. If there's any doubt that Vin Scully is not the best thing going now and for decades before in, in the announcing of, of baseball, I don't. I don't even know what to say beyond that. Yeah, Vin I, Scully is amazing. I did come across another tweet, and it was um, Vin Scully was actually born a year before commercial uh, sliced bread was commercialized. So actually, sliced bread is the greatest thing since Vin Scully. Well, I, and again, you've got stats, and I don't. But didn't Vin Scully come to California with the Dodgers? He did. He came from Doesn't Brooklyn. Doesn't he predate them? The Dodgers being in L.A. Yes, he comes from I, Brooklyn. He is literally. I mean, it's it's not just like guys like you or I or, or younger people who that is what epitomizes Dodgers baseball. He literally is the voice of the franchise forever. No, you're right. And again, it's those fond memories of years past for an organization. And again, we can listen to him and reminisce about it. But you know what? I don't really want to reminisce about Dodgers baseball. I want to reminisce about Orioles baseball. Let's go get our guest and let's reminisce about some Orioles baseball. on my plate don't have no time to be a decent lover i hope it isn't too late searching for the time that has gone so fast the time that i thought would last my ever-present past i've got too much on my mind welcome back to 2012 orioles fans this team has been drudging the waiver wire lately, picking up the likes of Joe Saunders. In addition, we've had Jim Johnson working out with a pending uh, you know, signing on Monday with Scotty McGregor down in Sarasota. Now, allegedly, there's a mystery team now that has jumped into the works and is fouling all the plans up. Um, and not to mention, the Orioles have dabbled slightly with uh, picking up Randy Wolf. And what's this? Jake, breaking news. Brian Roberts watch. Brian Roberts is available right now. The Yankees released him right at the trade deadline. No, no, no. They did not release him right at the trade deadline. They released him right before his vesting uh, 350th at bat. <laughs> so we needed someone from the past, someone that has an insight on all things 2012. So we went to our resident expert. We went to Charlie Hops from the Earl's Bastics. Charlie, welcome in to Bird's Eye View. I think it might be characterized as formerly of the Orioles Spastics at this point. Shh, shh. I, I, I think he might be formerly Charlie Hoppins. You might be formerly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> also, I, we didn't have a podcast in 2012. We were one of those bandwagon podcasts that were like, oh, 2012 was fun. Let's make a podcast. Well, we understand we that, but still, we like, it was this, the heart and spirit of 2012 that really said, I want to go and do a podcast in 2013, <laughs> and then... You know, after 2013, you guys were just like, "Yeah, screw it, let's not do that anymore." I, I think it. I think it looked a lot like uh, Charlie and company sitting at home, going, "These guys are clowns. We could do a much better job." And then they proved it for a year, and they're like, "You know what? Drop the mic and walked off." All I'm going to say is, when Charlie doesn't do a podcast, the Orioles seem to do well. Just right. Well, you know, it's just been we've all been really busy. I've been coaching ultimate frisbee. Dean's been building decks, and Chris got 
really into the 60s and no one ever saw him again. Well, can we hold up uh, a second here? So let me get this straight. You've been spending your entire summer with a group of college-aged uh, boys, and Dean <laughs> has been working on deck shirtless with cut-off jean shorts. Yeah, that's actually exactly exactly right. Charlie, can you describe that slower? Can I right. can I a lower Dean? octave? Can I ask one more question? Dean. Is Dean Yeah, is Dean Eastlake? Oh, Dean Eastlake. Does he do blue painted a uh, blue colored decks? Is that the only kind of decks he does? <sighs> Dean only does decks with a lot a lot of moonshine on board. Okay, That's so, the only thing I know about his his so, deck rituals. So, so there's no blue paint involved with Dean. I, there might be. I've not seen any blue paint, and I think that there. I would have seen it by now. But the people hold a lot of things in the closet. This sounds dangerously close to a reference to a television program that I do not know anything about. Charlie, are you happy with where I'm going with this so far? I, I don't know if I, I know what to do when people make Arrested Development references. <laughs> I don't know who I am anymore. Dude, I literally just got inside joked out of my own podcast. That was the whole point of this this, uh, this exercise. So let's step away from Arrested Development just for a second, and let's go back to 2012. And let's start with Joe Saunders, who recently was signed to a contract with the Baltimore Orioles. And it's really interesting because Joe Saunders was our starting pitcher for the wildcard game in 2012, and the Orioles now have signed him not to be a starter in Norfolk, but to work out of the bullpen as a lefty specialist. Now, looking at his numbers, he's posted a .472 OPS versus left-handed batters in 2012. And honestly, even in 2014, when he struggled, he's had some great numbers against left-handers. He's had a 4.33 ground ball per fly ball ratio, and his FIP and XFIP have been below four as well. He's also had a great percentage in terms of left on base, being right around 88.9%. So the Orioles look like they might know what they're doing here in terms of saying, we want you to turn into a left-handed specialist. Now, Charlie, this is the part of the program where I generally say, oh, very interesting. Those stats are those are awesome. Yeah, well, so a couple of things here of note. Uh, my analysis, one one is statistical and one is not. First off, Joe Saunders is the exact kind of person that needs to grow a... Donovan McNabb or Baron Davis style neckbeard to hide the rolls under his chin. So Joe Saunders is going to be exposed against right-handers and left-handers in terms of neck fat, um, which is something that, again, it could come back to bite the Orioles. The 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 uh, the other thing is every time that I I see or talk about lefty specialists, I think about that one tablet commercial that used to be on the air with the scouts watching the uh, watching the pitcher pitch. And the one guy's on an iPad, and he can only talk to the guy. He can't do multiple tasks. And then the other guy's on some awesome not iPad, and he's able to talk to his general manager and also look up the numbers and stuff. I don't know why he would be doing that while watching somebody throw a baseball. And the general manager asks what the person's ERA against left-handers is, which is just not a stat. Like, you can't – not a statistic. Actually, Every actually, yes, time. it is. Can, can I, I guess? I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think it's an interesting move, and uh, <laughs> Dan Duquette definitely did his did his research. Can, can I tell you how disappointed in your analysis I am? Only because <laughs> when you started down the tablet commercial, I was really hoping you were talking about the one where they're all dancing on the boardroom table. <laughs> that's that's another good one. Uh, but yeah, and that is also very no much like Joe Saunders. ERA against left-handers. That's not a real thing. No, there, there really is ERA versus left-handers. <laughs> we can come to the individual why Joe Saunders might be coming into the Orioles' bullpen, and that's Brian Mattis. 
Brian Mattis has had absolutely horrible numbers versus right-handed batters and actually has done really well against left-handed batters. Me and Jake have talked about this in terms of his performances, and he's been basically had batting averages against right-handers of above 400, where, you know, looking at Brian Mattis in terms of left-handers, he's got, you know, a FIP and XFIP right around 3.19 and 3.47, and his left-on-base as a left-handed pitcher is 84.9%. So, I mean, looking at those numbers... I see Saunders and Mattis being comparable. My question would be, does Saunders replace Mattis? Or why would you even have Saunders replace Mattis? Or is Saunders just, again, a 40-man roster move to give some additional depth in September? I think that we're just trying to sign every left-hander available and trade for every left-hander available. Uh, most of our bullpen now is is left-handed. And you know, Buck just wanted one more arm down there. Um, no, you know, to be honest, I'm not really too sure. I think it's a little bit of depth. It's a classic duquette low risk high reward or low risk in this case probably very lukewarm medium reward <laughs> moderate reward <laughs> right neck fat reward <laughs> x and, neck fat uh high high chance of neck fat, <laughs> neck fat um but yeah so i you know it doesn't really hurt i love the memories that that game was one of my favorite games as for as with everybody like ever to watch well, let me uh, let, let me run this by you. I've got a Joe Saunders thought, and then I want to return to Brian Mattis because only because Scott brought him up. First of all, with Joe Saunders, I mean, yes, it's it's intriguing to be able to bring this guy in as a lefty reliever first because, as Scott has mentioned, apparently ERA versus lefties is a thing, and he might be good at it. But also, you know, he it can, is a thing. Yeah, I don't I don't believe you. You're you're a thing, Scott. Um, but in addition to that thing that may or may not exist, he can do a lot of things for you if you need. If you need distance, you know, he, he used to be a starter before he sucked. Um, so, you know, he could he could do more than one thing besides being a loogie. Um, my question, though, is uh, who is removed on the 40-man to make room for Joe Saunders for just a little bit? Do you want me to answer that? No, I, won't. I don't have an answer, so that's all you. Okay. Well, first of all, Matt Wieters is on the 15-day DL right now, so he actually could be put on the 60-man DL, and okay. you could free up a 40-man roster spot. We're also technically all at 39 roster spots right now, so if you put Matt Wieters on it, that means you actually have two spots open for the 40-man rosters as well. All right. Apparently, it was a dumb question. Second thing about Brian <laughs> Mattis is I feel like the Orioles have given him— It's only stupid if you don't ask. No, it's, it's stupid that I don't ask, and then it's even more stupid when I do. It, but, but it makes me look a lot smarter. Trust me, I'm good at this. The thing about Brian Mattis, <laughs> I feel like the Orioles have tried so hard to let him be good. You know, they've they've given him innings. They've given him innings, uh, you know, as a loogie. They've also given him innings where they, they bring him in to get the entire inning or they'll let him go a couple of innings. You know, they, they've given him uh, opportunities to face righties, and he just hasn't made the most of them. And for a guy who viewed himself as a starter until very late in the process and a guy who's trying desperately to uh, prove that he's not a failed top pick, uh, he's just not picked up the opportunities that the team is, has given him all year. Yeah, the only way to fix Brian Mattis is to trade him to the Cubs. Um, like Jay Maybe Gary he did. needs more neck fat. Neck fat would at least... You know, get him signed. You know, get him to play another couple, another couple rounds into his uh, late in his career. He could be veteran presence, veteran neck fat. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't. I obviously none of us know what's what's the deal with Brian Mattis and how to fix him. If anybody did, he would have already won multiple Cy Youngs by now because his his movement is just fantastic. Um, you mean out of the park? 
<laughs> it it really takes off. It's majestic. It's nothing like the sound. All right, let me go to another person completely different, an individual that doesn't have any neck fat at all because he's basically constantly turning his head around and seeing where the ball's going right now. You wound me, sir. Yes, and that's Jim Johnson, who's been in total spin mode. Um, his numbers from a WOBA standpoint have been over 300 for the entire year, and in his last month with Oakland in July, his WOBA Jake was over 600. WOBA. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievably bad. Um, and honestly, the worst thing of all is his home run per fly ball percentage. And with Jake, we talked about this. The league average is right around 10% for fly balls for home runs. Jim Johnson's was 25% in June, and in July, it was 50%. That sounds like a lot. That's that, not good. That, that's a lot. Um, My back of the uh, napkin math, by the way, that's five times as worse as the normal pitcher. Yes, that's five times as worse. But again, you look at the rest of his numbers, his ground ball percentage is just as high. Again, it's those fly balls that are going for home runs. And, you know, you look at his career, and it's never been this high before. So you have to ask the question of, why is Jim Johnson giving up the long ball? Charlie, do they play with beach balls out in Oakland? Is that a thing? <laughs> I I... I wonder, I haven't seen any, I've tried to avert my eyes from any Jim Johnson outings this year, but the the signs of trouble were there last year, right? Where he would just have some outings where he was dominant. He'd have some outings where within three pitches, it was just like, uh-oh, everything's just flat. You know, it's 95 miles an hour and completely move motionless, you know, just oh, right down. Oh, it's that Jim Johnson tonight. Okay. You're right. So we knew. I'm wondering if, there's any way to if if that's what he's pitching like right now, and it's just more often that Jim Johnson, that Jim Johnson still provides some value as long as you take him out after a hitter or see him warming up in the bullpen. He, there's no way he's not throwing, you know, just motionless batting practice fastballs in the bullpen and just put somebody else in. If it's that apparent to somebody as untrained an eye that I have, I mean, they've got these trained <laughs> managers, coaches have to be able to see that same thing and be able to make an adjustment. Um, because when Jim Johnson's on, he's just filthy. But going back to last year's stats when he was with the Orioles, his home run to fly ball percentage was 11.4%. So again, slightly above the league That's average. Um, but in previous seasons, in 2012 and 2011, in 2012 it was 6.8%, and in 2011 it was 7.6%. So it was below <sighs> league average. Uh, Jim Johnson's ground ball percentage also has been trickling down throughout the years, going from 62.3 to 58 to 56.8%, which means that he's putting a higher degree amount of uh, fly balls in the air as well. And again, like we were talking about last year, if Jim Johnson's ground ball wasn't working last year, we knew there was going to be problems. Do you think he's just acting out? Like during a rebellion? Yeah. He's He's just like, you know... I got traded to Oakland. This is some shit. I'm done. I'm just going to throw meatballs over the plate until they release me. So he's just throwing a hissy fit, basically? His his career has, has reached adolescence, is what you're telling us? I'm saying that that's as logical an explanation as any. Or... Um, his we, glove what, has acne. What, Dean, <laughs> what Dean's hypothesis with Brian Roberts was, is that Brian Roberts was going to act as a secret double agent Jim Johnson could have been acting as a secret double agent, but sort of played his cards a little bit too quickly. <laughs> like like a kamikaze? Right. He just like he, he should have waited till the playoffs to sort of 
Well, he prematurely shot his wad, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Oh, oh, you thought I was bad in 2013. I'll show you. <laughs> right. Well, if Jim Johnson is serving as a double agent, he doesn't appear to be serving as a double agent for the Orioles because Rockabaco is reporting that some mystery team has swooped in and signed Jim Johnson, but it is not the Orioles who have signed him. So, Is it the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs? I was thinking actually the York Revolution, but that okay. was just me. Um, so I had worked out there's all this aspect of what he could be, and I really don't see him being a part of this bullpen for the rest of this year, actually, I think his mechanics are shot at this point. I think he pretty much needs to work with Scotty McGregor in uh, the minor leagues for pretty much the rest of the season. And honestly, I don't, dude, I think he needs an old priest and a young priest. I, I don't actually see any benefit for him to stay in the minor leagues for next year to get a contract. So I actually think it might be better for him in order to get another contract to go and pitch for someone that is not a playoff contender and at least get some innings in in non-stressful situations, low leverage situations, kind of like any TJ McFarlane role. He, he needs to pitch for the 2008 Orioles. Yes, exactly. So the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. He's going to be an all-star by next season. Yes. He'll be the next Alfredo Simone. Can I tell you, though, I kind of want that for him. I know. I, I mean, know. it just breaks my heart to watch him suck so bad. Well, if we're going to talk sentimental, we've got to go to my favorite boy in the world, Brian Roberts. So Brian Roberts was injured during the 2012 season, and he was prevented from playing in the playoff series. And Can I cut you off for a second? Your relationship with Brian Roberts is confusing to me because you're calling him your favorite boy, but I sort of remember you hating him or being envious of him. Or well, I'm absolutely envious of him, but I wasn't. Maybe, is, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm remembering. This is right. how it breaks down. I have an unfortunate, unfortunate love affair with Brian Roberts. Scott sure. has an unfortunate love affair with Brian Roberts' wife. Sure. That's sure. It. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but he's our resident homeboy. I mean, we, it, we've got all our bases covered in every way and entendre you can make there. <laughs> uh, Long time listener, first time caller. Yep. <laughs> so anyway, again, wasn't able to play in the playoff series, and then 2013 came back, got injured for three months, and then he basically lasted the whole season. And then so far in 2014, he hasn't been injured. Jake, my question to you is. Are the Orioles actually willing to bring him back into the fold? And if so, should he be anything more than a 40-man roster spot in September? Well, you put me in an awkward position because here I am. The love of my life, Brian Roberts, is available again. Um, Do I think that the Orioles should bring him back? Yes. Yes, the Orioles should bring him back and make all of my dreams come true. And whether or not that's good for the team, they should bring Brian Roberts back so that my heart stops hurting and so that he can be part of my team again. Um, but I mean, Charlie, you can, you can tell me how foolish you think this is. Our second baseman scope included have sucked. And if you look at their slash lines, Brian Roberts offensively is actually an upgrade over these two cats that we've had playing at second base all year. And, um, as long as he's not dizzy, I don't think his defense is awful. Um, don't, don't you think it's worth taking a flyer to see if he can uh, help get you a little bit more than what you had before? You know, I, I wonder who... Shamil Weeks slept with to make him be punished like he has been. I, why is is he not getting a chance? And yeah, Brian Roberts, give him a chance. Like there's literally nothing to lose. There's absolutely nothing to lose. Well, except the AL East. Well, but is he going to have an OPS under? Ooh, our second base leader right now is Ryan Flaherty at a robust five eighty two. Yeah, that's pretty bad, Jake. Jonathan Scope, 568. Stop in it, a man. lot of at-bats. Like, it's not at a certain point. It's like, yep, nope, this is just like who you are this year. Right, exactly. It's No hot streak is going... A hot streak will bring him up to still under 700, like significantly under 700. So, you know, 
the the question really is are we punting second base for defense it seems like the answer is yes but our offense is in a cold streak now but also just hasn't been very good all season um yeah it seems like any little bit if he if he slash line if his ops ends up being 660 well, that doesn't seem like a lot, but it's a, literally 100 points better. <laughs> if you get out 100 points to any position, that would be okay, you know? Yeah, and I think uh, the one big thing that we need to talk about is the Orioles fans in Berlin will come back and say, no, Jonathan Scope is the future. We need to keep with Jonathan Scope. And unfortunately, I understand where that's coming from because that's the same type of mentality we had prior to 2012 where it was, we're building towards the future. We're trying to get this team to be you know, a playoff team. But guess what, folks? We are a playoff team. You need to be putting your best pieces out there. Now it, now matters for now the matters. first time. Exactly. So right. it's a situation of you've already given up two draft picks for next year. You've given up draft picks for Nelson Cruz and Abaldo Jimenez. You've already gone out and said, okay, you know, we're going to put all our chips in here and say we're going to trade away you know, our third round, our third prospect in our organization in order to get Andrew Miller as a two-month rental. This is a situation of if you can improve for the time being for the next two months with a rental like Brian Roberts, I say you do that, and you take Jonathan Scope or Ryan Flaherty, you put him in Norfolk, and you say, we want you to either learn second base better, or we want you to learn third base better so that we can move Manny Machado from third base to shortstop come next year. Well, either that, or they could just roll up a newspaper and hit him with it. Like, bad. Well, that's, not, that's not very nice. Bad. All right, Charlie, just to bring you back into the conversation, uh, you had mentioned Jamile Weeks. What about Steve Lombardozzi? It, Steve Lombardozzi, Jamile Weeks, Brian Roberts... Anything that could potentially be an upgrade, there, it just doesn't hurt anything. Exactly what you're saying. This team needs to try to do the best it can to put its best team on the field now. Um, and that means probably trying to find playing time for Delman Young, who I hate so much. It means sending down somebody who we have, you know, jerseys made, Brian or Ryan Flaherty. You know, it means making decisions that are, are maybe a little bit sad, like sending down somebody that we think is the future of second base because we need we need to win now. Um, and any of those guys don't present a huge drop-off in defense. Um, and any of them can't do worse. They can't do worse than 560. Right, well, and, and again, we've scored like three runs or fewer in the last zillion games. So, right. uh, you know, something's got to give eventually or else the, the pitching staff is just going to blow up. Um I just I, I can't imagine that there's nothing that can be done to improve this club in any fashion, at least to get us to hold on until the rosters expand. Because I think that once the rosters expand, you'll see a lot more, let's call them creative lineups from Buck Showalter. <laughs> right. All right. Well, we're we're talking about nostalgia, Charlie. What for, What former Orioles do you want back? I I want. Nate McClouth, and I want him to... I need you to specify that you want him back on the Orioles and that you don't want him into your dungeon. I, I No, I want him on he the Orioles. He wants him in the dungeon, too. <laughs> leading off and playing left field, and I want to look at his terrible haircut and him holding his puppy, and you might know that this has nothing to do with baseball. Let me ask um, you a question. Do you really want to give up David Lowe over <laughs> Nate McClouth? Trust me, you're uh, going to love this guy. Are, I'm just I they they don't love the Nats don't love him like we loved him. No, I I I miss him. I I made a compilation video of his greatest Orioles moments 
set it to time to say goodbye and watch it once a week. <laughs> the worst part is I totally believe that. <laughs> I actually really believe that. That you're pretty much wearing like some kind of bathrobe and you just got some bourbon or Remy VSOP and you're swirling it around a glass that you're just sipping watching Nate McCulloch caress a dog, basically, in this video. Either that or he's there on the sidelines with his phone and like, hey, coach, hey, coach, not now. <laughs> not <laughs> now. Just a single tear rolling down my left cheek. <laughs> I, it's it's I, just like the, the ball off, off the scoreboard and right and Chris Davis picking him up. Ugh. It, Ugh, I miss him. I miss him. It's a special moment. That's the worst part, I think, of, uh, you know, we, we, knew, we knew how to handle bad teams. And so when players left those bad teams, we didn't care because they were awful players. But then we had good teams and people left and we had these like strong emotional attachments and positive memories. And that was so weird for us. So like of like Pedro Strope and like right, right. This Mark is, these Reynolds and like players. the dirge of Major League Baseball. We like can't help but just be like oh Petey strope like his split finger was so good for like four months and he wore a teenage mutant ninja turtle shirt i mean what's not the love <laughs> like love pedro strope he's just terrible and 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 mark reynolds like all those home runs in yankee stadium i had yankee fans telling me how much they hated mark reynolds that that's such a nice feeling and now, like he, I mean, he's just a whatever. You know, he's not a real player. He's, that's that's not a real person that you should care about. But but like you know, it happens every time when you have as a sports fan when you have winning teams as rarely as we've had, you get attached. For me, the the '97 Orioles, Jesse Orosco. I love Jesse Orosco, lefty specialist. He would just walk off the mound, off to the right, circle back around after every single pitch, come enter the mound from the back again. Uh, Scott, be liberal, careful. Liberal back mound policy. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then, uh, you know, and Jeff Reble were my two, and, and Chris Hoyles. Those three were, like, my guys from that team. So, and, like, so let me get this straight. Wait, wait, wait. It was liberal back mound policy, the guy that squats, and the guy with the stash? And the guy with the stash. Charlie, I'm, I'm frightened weird. for you. That's, I don't think that's weird. No, that's no, not weird. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's totally not weird. Is it weird? But guys, a simple situation it's is it's great that you have these memories. And, you know, I think we can all look back at the 2012 season and be like, we must rebuild them, Scott. No, Scott, we must put the band back together. It's the only way. No, no, it's not. You know, this <laughs> 10 hours to Chicago. We've got a full tank of gas. Now, this team, this team <laughs> this year in 2014 is much better than that team was in 2012. As I point out to Jake, RDH during the ALDS game number one was Lou Ford. There's no way in the world that a playoff team should have Lou Ford being their DH. So this team is much better off than they were in 2012. Yes, I think there's room to make improvements, but I don't think they're going to major improvements. And even if the team were to go out and get someone like a Brian Roberts, I don't think it'd be a significant upgrade over a Jonathan Scope, no matter how fond we hold our memories to be to Brian Roberts. And in fact, I'm going to say it, Nate McClough, probably not a major contributor to the Orioles, um, even if he were to come miraculously and Charlie were to kidnap him. All right. Well, well, Charlie Hoppus, uh, if if this segment has has been nothing else, it was a trip down memory lane. And and for me, sir, nothing more could have could have been uh, better for me tonight. You it's nice to be you complete me throwback. It's nice to be a throwback talking about throwbacks. Hey, Charlie, um, if someone were interested in finding archives of the old Orioles Spastics rides again, where could they find it? 
<laughs> well, uh, you know, it still exists. I think it might even still be on uh, BaltimoreSportsReport.com slash network, unless we're too much in the doghouse that they took us down. Um, we're definitely on Oriolespastics.com um, until we stop paying for the domain. And we also have a Twitter account, which is actually active, Orioles, at Oriolespastics. Um, and, you know, someday we will play at least one more podcast huh? hey before we uh before we close down the mics charlie in, in all seriousness we miss you dearly uh whenever you become available you let us know good catching up fellas thanks for having me on Hey, Scott, can I ask you a question? You can ask me any kind of question you want. Where did it go? Where did what go? Our youth? No, no. I know exactly where my youth went. Um, My question is, where did the Orioles' offense go? Look, if this were a better prepared podcast, what would be happening right now would be that you and I would be listening and laughing along as we played clips of earlier Bird's Eye View episodes where you and I said stupid things like, well, you know, the offense is going to carry this team. And if the offense can just make up for the starting pitching, we'll be fine. So I ask you, Scott, when it comes to the offense, where did it go? Well, looking at the end of the first half, uh, the Orioles ranked in Major League Baseball as ninth in runs, fifth in WOBA, and eighth in weighted runs created plus. So the offense has been there for the majority of the season. That's true. Not so much true since, I want to say since the All-Star break, but it's been before that. It was slightly before the All-Star break, um, probably about a week or so before the All-Star break. But let's just look past the All-Star break. In the second half of the season, they've had their 21st in runs, 28th in WOBA, 28th in weighted runs created plus, and their weighted runs created plus, Jake, is 68. What? So that's pretty bad. So, Jake, what the heck is going on? We need to figure out what has changed with the Orioles as of late. I I may have stopped the sacrifice of live animals. That's a possibility. Um, Going through the entire team, just breaking out, you know, how they've been doing against certain pitches. It certainly looks like they're doing a lot poorer against the fastball. They've seen a dramatic difference in their pitch values between fastballs um, in the first part of the season um, compared to the second half of the season so far. Um, but again, it's such a small sample size that I don't think we can specifically look at that. Jake, instead of looking at this small sample size with only you know ten or fifteen games, I said we look at two players that have dramatically changed over this time period, and that's Nelson Cruz and Steve Pierce. You mean the beautiful, beautiful men of the Orioles' offense? That is correct. So we knew when we were talking to Mike Petrillo from Fangrass and from Dodgers Digest that this was going to happen. There was going to be some regression with Nelson Cruz and Steve Pierce. You said some regression. This does not fit that bill. You're right. This is a little bit severe. So, for example, um, in the first half of the season, Cruz had a .394 WOBA and a 151 weighted runs created plus. Um, After the All-Star break, he has a 183 WOBA and a 6 weighted runs created plus. Six. 
Usually I would make fun of your stats, but your stats are showing exactly what we've seen with our eyes, and that is horrible at bats. And not just horrible at bats, but predictable 2010-esque horrible at bats that you know how how they're going to end before they start right and steve harris has been in a similar boat 412 woba 164 weighted runs created plus in the first half and in the second half he's at 228 woba and 37 weighted runs created plus and you know breaking out the numbers one of the obvious changes that has happened is their bat is extremely down pierce has had his bat drop from 0.350 to 0.250 cruz on the other hand has dropped from a .296 Babbitt, which, again, is pretty close to his career average, to a .119. Come again? .119. I mean, that is really, really, really bad in terms of Babbitt. The thing is, Scott, with with Nelson Cruz, you had to know that he wasn't going to continue on in his superhuman fashion from the first half, right? I mean, there had to be some regression back to the norm, back to the mean. But we're not at the mean right now. We're at this, like, negative, awful zone of suck that he can't seem to escape. And with Steve Pierce, it's the same thing. You knew that Steve Pierce was giving you more than Steve Pierce, frankly, had any right to give you. But at the same time, any regression from that had to be better than what we're seeing now. Absolutely. Um the one thing that I want to point out, too, and this is one of the reasons why Cruz's BAPIP is so down, and also Pierce's BAPIP is so down, is because of IFFB. What? Infield fly balls. Now, the team average is right around 10%. Cruz, um, in the first half, was 10.3%. That has elevated to 18.2%. So you're talking about weak pop-ups. Weak pop-ups in the infield that basically are the second worst things to strikeouts because, again, they don't even advance the runner. It's it's not just the the result, and I'm with you, Scotty. Uh, for for once, you're, you've picked a stat that I can connect with. But it's not even the result. I think that goes into approach as well. Oh, absolutely. There's these, no these, are, these are terrible at-bats that are resulting in weak swings that, as you, as you well indicate, are resulting in next to nothing. But it's the approach that's getting us that next to nothing. Absolutely. Now, it's a shame that we didn't keep the athletic Charlie Hops on the phone so that we could talk to him about, you know, mechanics and stuff like that. No, I think the... I think the problem was what we kept Charlie Hops on the Hop is on the phone way too long. Ah, uh, you're correct. Um, but one of the reasons why you generally see some of these issues with infield fly balls is that oftentimes it's a situation of the bat is not kept level throughout the swing, and oftentimes you see the better dropping his shoulder or dropping his elbows in order to give it more of an uppercut swing, and that oftentimes has a very tough time of hitting the ball um, flush against it and getting good solid contact. A lot of times, too, you often see that on the inner portion of the plate, and you oftentimes see it, too, with balls like cutters that break inwards as well. So balls that are cutters or forcing fastballs have a tendency to create more infield fly balls than other pitches that have downward movement and would lead to ground balls. All right, so these two guys are, well, they're sucking. And that's to put it lightly. These two guys are doing... To a, an Orioles offense, what uh, is it, it's just terrible. But they're not the only guys. I mean, the whole offense is struggling right now. You've you've selected and and I applaud again. Usually, I mock your stats, but I think I think you're making good points here. These are two guys that were driving the Orioles offense while everybody else was kind of lackluster. And now that these two guys are 
uh, the suck, the entire offense is really cooled off in a hurry. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look at July's number, this isn't something that just recently happened after the All-Star break with Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz has had two really poor months in June and July. Um, I basically broke it out via his hate maps. Um, his hate maps? His no, this is maps. not This is not Delman Young. Heat maps. Oh, heat. Yes, Got his it. heat maps. So I broke out his heat maps just to see how productive he was in certain parts of the zone. I compare that to his career. And again, if you look at April and May, he's got, you know, hot zones throughout his entire strike zone. But when you hit June and July, he's having a really difficult time on the inside portion of the play, just like we talked about. But again, he's also having a difficulty on that lower, low and away pitch as well, which he was doing very well with earlier this season. Let let me ask you from a, a broader perspective. This is the way I feel. I feel like the Orioles could just have one laugher. They they just had one offensive explosion that this offense could probably write itself. I mean, we're we're at the point now where they've been so bad for so long and and strangely the starting pitching has decided to cover them with this amazing stretch of ridiculously low ERA, FIP, XFIP, whatever whatever stats you want to mm-hmm. throw at me, Scotty. But that can only last so long. But on the other hand, I feel like the offense is just I feel like they once they explode, this won't be a problem forever. Am I am I wrong in that? Yes, you're completely wrong about that. And the reason I bring that up is this is the same argument we've been making every single time Chris Davis has a breakout game and says, Oh, he just hit two no, or three homers. No, yes, it is. No. It is the exact no. same argument. It's Chris, like up, oh, the dam has been broken. He's gonna go on a streak now. But and that's he, one guy. That's one guy out of the ten or twelve that are, are gonna have every day at bats for the Orioles. And, you can't have ten or twelve guys that are all slumping for that long without something given. And and when I say something giving, I mean Adam Jones getting hot again, or Nick Marquez is going on a tear, or JJ Hardy remembering what a bat is, or or Chris Davis coming completely out of that horrible slump that he's just a regular player, if not the crush Davis we remember. All of these things are going badly now, and it seems to me that all of that can't go wrong for much longer. Eventually, something's got to give, and right now the thing that's giving is Manny Machado, but other people will follow suit. It's not going to suck forever. Well, no, it's not going to suck forever, but again, I think that you know we looked at the numbers with uh, Steve Pierce and Nelson Cruz, and we knew that they couldn't continue. It was a question of who was going to step up in this lineup and contend. We had talked about Manny Machado coming back and starting to rate the ball, um, in June and July, and it looks like he's starting to really pick up that pace again. May was a tough month for him because he was getting his swing back in order, but now that his swing's back in order, he looks like the Manny Machado of old. So you're telling me that this whole the lineup is going to revive thing is a total fantasy? Um, it's not going to get back to... I mean, there's no way that Steve Pierce is going to get back to the way he was before. All right. If we're dealing with fantasy baseball, I need to take my medicine. Let's do fantasy, boss. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, baby, you should do swing. When it comes to twisting, I just got to keep insisting. Oh, daddy, hey, you are the king. Baby, you got me beat up and down, inside out and across. Oh, yeah. But in the middle of the night, when the moon is shining, Yes, Jake, I am the boss. So, um, it's so frustrating. Yeah, I bet it is frustrating over there. So, Jake, 
Once again, I'm going to go and uh, garner my lead some more. Uh, I am up now, well, what is it, like 10 to 4? Oh, I'm sorry, 10 to 5 to 2. So it's not as bad as I thought it was. So Jake, you picked doubles last week. I picked Manny Machado, who had three doubles and a home run. And JJ Hardy had one. All right, I went with a do theory. You you went with a guess. No, you went, went with the hot hand. I went with the hot hand. Yeah, that's a guess. That's yeah. a guess. There's no stat behind a guess. You guessed righter than I did. Okay, that's the whole point of the segment. Um, <laughs> Jake, I'm going to go with something a little bit more unique with it. We were just talking about BABIP and with the Orioles hitters. I'm and, already frightened, but and, go ahead. And one of the major contributions to BABIP is line drives. So the more line drives you have, theoretically the higher your BABIP is. So what I'm going to propose is I want to pick a hitter that is going to hide the highest line drive percentage over the next seven weeks or seven days. So we're talking about a percentage. Yes. Of balls put in play that are line drives. I got you on this one, Scotty. Okay. You ready? Go for it. Delman Young. Okay. That's a really good choice. I'm very glad that you picked that. Um, I am going to go with Manny Machado. <laughs> Why don't you just, if you like Manny Machado so much, why don't you just marry him? Uh, If I did, my wife would be very happy. (laughs) I agree. She would love if you would leave her for Manny Machado. Yes, she would. So, Jake, you're going with Delman Young, who I think is an excellent choice. I'm going with Manny Machado, who will own it. And with that, Jake, let's go through. Let's go through and uh, let's go through who was bad, who was good, who was bad, and who was ugly. That's right. It's that time again. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And let me just set up this segment. Here's what we're doing here. We go through the week of Orioles baseball. We take the seven games between the Monday and the Monday in which these uh, stupid uh, episodes are recorded, and we we pick out the players that make us the most proud to be Orioles fans, those that had a rough week and those that make us the most ashamed to be members of Birdland. I'm going to start off, and we do this mainly so that Scott can go last for the ugly, because the quality of his rants far surpassed my own. And for my good this week, I'm going to go with Manny Machado. He was the only ray of light that we had offensively. Um, You know, he batted a crisp 303. He managed to drive in three runs. He had a home run. Um, it's pretty sad in in a week where you are praising the guy who struck out 10 times and had a single walk. Um, but again, he had 10 hits and 33 at-bats, and since everybody else sucked, Manny Machado, my good for this week. He even managed to win you fantasy, boss. Yes, Manny Machado is definitely good for this week. But Jake, I'm going to give my good for the week to Orioles fans in attendance. I gave them a hard time um, earlier this year for not coming to the ballpark. But this week during the six-game series, they averaged 33,367 people. Average since last year was 29,105. Fans finally start to seem to be coming around to embracing this team after some very blasé play over the first two months. I think you might be right, Jake. I think we might see a significant increase in attendance, perhaps tops in Major League Baseball. All right, so you Not are... Top, like, you know, most attendance, but you mean increase increase in attendance. All right. So you are patting Birdland on the back 
for 33,000 people in the stands for this homestand. Is that what I'm hearing? I'm saying that's a pretty significant increase for... Oh, uh, for, so, so you were telling me that you're okay with 13,000 empty seats? Mm, yes, I am. Okay. You and I have a different definition of what is good. Right, well, I think during the midweek, I think that's a pretty good attendance. 13,000 empty seats for your first place Baltimore Orioles. The the team that is destined to win the AL East, that is beating the pants off of AL West opponents like the Angels, that is a stadium you can't pack. Come on, Birdland. 10% increase. That's a, that's a significant increase. Yeah, yeah. 13,000 empty seats. That's fine. It's still a significant increase. So keep up the good work, Birdland. Let's keep increasing that number, and let's try to make Jake happy. All right, because Scott sets his bar so low, I'm going to go to the bad for this week. And my bad for this week is the guy that lost me, Fantasy Boss, and that is J.J. Hardy. And, you know, if he's not going to be hitting for power, he needs to be hitting for something. You know, he had twice as many strikeouts this week, eight as he did hits. J.J. Hardy is not hitting the cover off the ball, but for a while he was at least getting his scratch singles. This week, not so much. I mean, I don't know what to say about the guy. J.J. Hardy had a terrible week. He batted 154. His OBP was 185. His slugging percentage was the same as his average at 154. He was just bad. I got nothing more than that. Bad. And my bad for the week is going to go to Jonathan Scope. I don't know what else I need to say about this besides he's just bad offensively. For those that want to make the comparison back to Jones in 2008, fine. Go ahead and try to do that. They're both bad ball swingers um, with similar K percentages. But Jones still had a year in 2008 when he first came up with the Orioles. They had a WOBA and a way to runs created plus that dwarfs Jonathan Scope. Adam Jones's WOBA during that year was 312. His weighted runs created plus was 86. Jonathan Scope this year is 255. His weighted runs created plus is 56. Don't try to compare the aspect of being bad ball hitters and being the same production. Adam Jones is a unique creature. Let's not make all our batters feel like they're the next Adam Jones. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this earlier. All all season, I have been arguing against sending Jonathan Scope down to the minors, saying he's not costing us games. I, I think I've reformed in somewhat, uh, in, in some fashion, because I'm thinking at this point, it's not that he's not costing us games. It's that he's not contributing anything offensively. And especially when the rest of the offensive slugging, or is slumping rather, I feel like we're at a spot where maybe we need to change at second base. And by that, I don't mean Ryan Flaherty. So I wholeheartedly agree with you that Jonathan Scope is bad. And um, only because you picked him as your bad, I didn't go with him for my ugly. Instead, I'm going to go with my ugly with AL contenders doing work at the trade deadline. Look, at this point, they're just showing off. The The athletics, the Tigers, with your pitching staff, really? Really, you need that much more pitching? Look, you know, the, the A's added Samarja and Jason Hamill, who's apparently drinking the New York Yankees black magic. The Tigers took a stacked pitching staff and they added David Price. They added David Price. Scott, the Tigers starting rotation has Verlander as their number four. Yeah, they have three Cy Young winners. These guys are trying way too hard and they're making my Orioles look like chumps for just getting some reliever at the trade deadline. So that's why they're ugly this week. AL contenders, teams that are going to be there at the end for the Orioles to face in the playoffs, you're ugly. 
Not because you're making bad moves, not because you're making uh, short-sighted moves, but because I'm envious and I hate you. All right. Well, Jake, my ugly for the week has got to go to the heart of the order, and that's Adam Jones, Chris Davis, and Nelson Cruz, who have all been an absolute slump this past week. Amen. Yes, Adam Jones had two home runs this week, but he also had a 224 Robo. So besides those two home runs, he really did nothing at all. Chris Davis has been absolutely abysmal with a .090 Woba, and Nelson Cruz is even worse than Chris Davis with a .077 Woba. Not to mention all three are at 25-plus in terms of their K percentage. So that means a quarter of the time they're coming up to the plate, they are striking out as well. So, you know, that's not the kind of production you want to see from the heart of your order. You at least want to see them, you know, hitting the ball for power or hitting them deep or extending runners or getting them over in scoring position. But you can't have three, four, and five all doing so poorly, and that's one of the reasons why the offense has been struggling so mightily over the past few days. So, Jake, heart of the order, all three of them are ugly. Get it together, boys. You're on notice. I can't agree with you more. All right, Jake, um, I think it's time that we go ahead and blow the save. I've got, I'm going to blow the save this week, and my blow the save is going to come back to the trade deadline. But I'm not going to talk about which team made this trade or what that team made a trade. Jake, I'm going to come back to something that you know hurt me on the trade deadline, and that was a death that occurred. It was the death of journalism. There was so much an aspect of on the trade deadline of, oh, I've got to get this information out. I need to break it immediately. That people were tweeting back and forth, back and forth. And in a very few, in a very, a lot of instances, you had people tweeting out fake Twitter sources just to get information out there. You had Major League Baseball Network breaking down news articles and saying, oh, you know, so-and-so is going here. And then they're like, oh, wait a second. That was a fake Twitter account. We've got to pull that back. ESPN did the same thing. Um, you had, you know, uh, Jim Bowden basically come back and say, oh, someone actually hacked my account. Um, right. right, exactly. You know, guys, this is your livelihood. This is your profession. We're the ones that are had the lack of insight and baseless opinion. Don't stoop down to our levels and try to steal our act. So with that, journalist, you're on notice. You need to get things together and not act like the schmucks that we are sitting on the couch. All right. I, I am in complete agreement with that. And Scott... Not only have we said it all, I think we've said too much at this point. I think we have said not only all there is to say, but all there is to say and then some. So we can thank Charlie really for that of saying way, way too much and talking way too much about Joe Saunders neck fat. I don't think there'll be ever a podcast in the world that talks about Joe Saunders neck fat to the extent that we just did tonight. I feel so bad for you for the amount of editing that you had to do for this episode. I, I will say that I think you had to do more ep- editing for this episode than all the rest of them combined. All right, Jake. Um, I, I think with that, let's let our audience leave. And why don't you go ahead and give your fond farewells? Would you, at this point, Scott, like me to say adieu, adieu? Uh, please do. Adieu, adieu. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.